Good morning, Happy New Year. We're starting a new series today. It's called Me and We. If you're wondering what this is about, well, let me tell you a little story. Um, so 2020 is a special year for us because my wife and I were going to be married for 10 years. It's a Thank you. What is that? What am I supposed to get her at the 10-year mark? Anybody? Car. Okay. <laughs> is there something less expensive? <laughs> okay, I thought there was some, like, like every five years, supposed to, anyways, that's not the point. <clears throat> but in 10 years, uh, you know, we've had a lot of uh, fun times, sad times. We cried together. We laughed together. We had a lot of good experiences. And um, we learned a lot, okay? And on top of that, you know, my wife, there she is. She's, she's, she's a teacher. And so she hears a lot of stories about, you know, relationships that succeed and fail, you know, from the parents that she talks to. And as a pastor, I hear a lot of stories too, some issues, some celebrations, you know. <clears throat> and before that, even before that, when I used to do youth ministry and before that, when I was doing other things, there's a lot of things that, that we've learned over the years. And by no means are we experts on the topic of romantic relationships. But we thought we need to talk about it. And because I'm not an expert at this, <clears throat> You know, I'm not the only one that's going to be talking about this topic. So for the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about relationships, whether it's dating relationships or marital relationships or whatever, you know, category would fit into that. Um, we want to talk about it. And because this is what we discovered over time, okay? As much as that we stand up here and tell you guys, hey, our vision statement, our goal is to experience heaven together, how we need to go out there and, and bring more heaven on earth. We need to have, we have to bless the people around us. How, you know, that's, that's really important to us. What we discover over time is sometimes it's really difficult because it's difficult to experience heaven together if you are, uh, have unhealthy dating slash marital relationships. I mean, isn't that true? <clears throat> you want to go and help the poor. But then at home, things aren't going so well. So you can't really focus on that because you're focused on this, right? Or I want to go over there and, 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 you know, reach out to the people who are disenfranchised by society. I want to go help them out. But I can't because we're dealing with some issues at home. It makes it difficult. I'm not saying it's impossible. And we have examples in the stories I've heard and the stories from the scriptures where things can be broken at home and God can still use you to do amazing things in the world. But we just think that's easier. There's less friction as a matter of fact, if you have somebody in your home that's actually on your team that agrees with you and you're willing to work together and get your hands dirty together, you could actually accomplish a lot for the Lord in this world. So that's why we're talking about having healthy relationships because over time what you'll discover is this. Let's just say you're, you're single right now, you're looking to find somebody or you're dating somebody, you're thinking about getting married or you've been married but you're, you're divorced but now you're ready to start dating again. Whatever you, wherever you are or maybe you're married and you're happily married but you feel like you can improve in these areas. What you've discovered over time is this, okay? That even though we like to talk about us in terms of a couple, right? Your partner, whoever it is, what we discover is that my issues become our issues. We discover that my past, whatever good or bad it was, eventually becomes our past. And whatever my regrets from the past were, if you've been married for a long time, you'll discover that your regrets didn't stay as your regrets. It becomes our regrets. And what you discover is that my struggles eventually become our struggles, right? And so, it, it, like, I'll, like, I'll give you an example that's not as, like, deep, okay? But this is what I discovered about marriage in 10 years. My diet before I got married looks very different from my diet after I've gotten married. As a matter of fact... I'm eating more like my wife now than, I, you know, than she is eating more like me. D does that make sense? When you've been married to somebody for a long time, you start to become more and more like them. You pick up on their habits, in my case, eating habits, 
I, I'm like a version of Val that eats way more than she does, you know, but, <laughs> but the types of food we eat are basically the same now. But that's, that's the thing is we pick up on habits of the other person, right? And so we got to make sure, okay, even though we care about we, before we talk about we, we have to first deal with me. <clears throat> Meaning if you're thinking about getting into a long-term relationship and you want it to be healthy, you have to make sure that you are healthy so that you bring health into the relationship. Because more often than not, what happens is this, okay? We think, <coughs> excuse me, we think that when we walk into a relationship, we start with a clean slate. But that's rarely the case. We bring in all the baggage from our past into our new relationship. There is no such thing as a clean slate when you start a new relationship because you are not a clean slate. The other person is not a clean slate. So we want to make sure that your relationship, whether if you're already married or thinking about getting married or thinking about getting remarried, whatever, wherever you are, or starting to think, like, I want to start dating, whatever it is, we want to make sure that, that we start off on the right foot, okay? And if you're young and you're like, hey, I've never dated anybody, but one day I want to, this is great for you because what this means, okay, is that you get to get it right on the first try, Okay? And for the people who've been married for a long time or have been divorced for a long time, you're probably thinking like, yes, I wish I knew this a long time ago. And so if this is, and if you're like, I'm a grandparent now, I'm not looking for dating or, you know, whatever, whatever that's, that's you, you could pass this on to your grandchildren. So I'm hoping that this is not exclusive to any, uh, this is not excluding anybody. This is, you know, this is something that we could all learn something from. Are we good to go? Okay. So usually in a sermon series, we, uh, if, you know, we take one long message and we break it up to sermons. So today we're talking, in general, just like the intro. Okay, so you're going to be like, okay, that sounded incomplete. It's supposed to be that way. Um, and we'll talk about it more as we go along. But <clears throat> what I wanted to address to you today is that when we talk about relationships, okay, if I were to tell you certain things, you'll be like, duh, I knew that. But if I were to look at the way that you're dating, the way that you're married, the way that you're viewing your future relationships, what you're going to discover is that what you know and what you th- you're living out are two different things. And one of the things I want to talk, I want to talk about two myths of relationships. The first one is this. I call it the right person myth. Have you guys heard of the right person myth? No, because I made this up. Okay. <clears throat> this is what the right person myth is, is that once you meet the right person, everything will be all right. Once you meet the right person, everything will be all right. What that means is from now until the day you start dating or you get married or remarried or wherever you are on that spectrum, okay, you're thinking, I don't care what I do right now, okay, I don't care how much I party, I don't care how many people I hook up with, because one day I'm going to meet the right person and everything I did in the past is going to be wiped out. We think that everything that, 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 you know, all my problems, all my issues will be wiped away once I find that right person, the perfect person, my Prince Charming, whoever that might be, okay? And, and what you discover is once you find the right person, if that person really does exist, okay, once you find the right person and you start dating that person and then eventually that relationship doesn't work out, you end up with this conclusion that says, well, I must have chosen the wrong right person, like, oh, this, you know, right? You're thinking, well, if that didn't work out, well, that's probably because I didn't find the right person, right? <clears throat> because underneath all this myth is the assumption that all my bad habits, once I get married or once I start dating, is going to disappear. Or all, you know, like all the insecurities that I had, one day when I get married, all my insecurities will just disappear. Or, you know, all the lust I have or my addiction to pornography or whatever it is, right? You're like, once I get married, that, that's just going to dissipate. It's going to go away. Or, or you're thinking, um, 
all my bad financial decisions I made in my past, once I find the right person, and by the right person, I mean a rich person, all that's going to go away, right? Or, or maybe I have, you have some trust issues from past relationships. But when I find that right person, all my trust issues, it's going to be a thing of the past. All my regrets, it's going to go away once I find the perfect marriage. That's the right person myth. And if I were to tell you, do you believe in that, you'll probably say no. But if you look at the behavior of some people and how they view relationships, you'll discover that even though they know it's a myth, they still live their lives as if it's true. Okay, so the right person myth is this. It's the belief that someone else will fix me. That once I find the right person, I'm going to have a fresh start. But for those of you who have been married for a long time, and if you were to listen to the wisdom of the people who have been married for a long time, you'll discover that's not true. But we live as if it is. It's almost like there's this mythical, magical relationship that I'm waiting for that's going to fix all my problems. And if that's what you're waiting on, it's not going to happen. That's the first myth. The second myth, for lack of a better term, I, I call it the getting married myth. And, and what that means is this, okay? That getting married is the goal of my relationship journey. That the minute I say, the minute I, I, I have that ceremony and that party, right, then, whew, I'm done with, you know, my journey is over. I get to relax. I get to enjoy, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. If you've been married or if you talk to people who've been married for a long time, you'll discover that that's when your journey starts. You can't just say, I don't have to pursue that person anymore. No, no, you have to keep pursuing that person even after you get married. But you know this, right? But the way that we see getting married, okay, it's like we invest so much of our energy into getting married, but we don't leave any energy for the marriage itself, right? And so this is the thing that, right, you think that the ceremony and the party is the goal, right, but, that's, but what you discover over time is that marriage and, and weddings are not the same thing. The wedding is the thing that starts off the marriage, but the marriage is the thing that you really need to invest in. What we discover over time is this, that I do does not mean I can, Right? Okay, uh, here are some examples of that. I'm not relational. Like, okay, these are bad examples of that. Okay. Just because you said, I do, like, let's, let's just say you got into a prestigious college. Let's call it UCLA. Okay, you got into UCLA. <laughs> just because you got into, you're a Bruin now, does not mean automatically you're going to get a degree. You still have to work for it, right? Or just because you made the varsity team doesn't mean you're going to win championships. In the same way, just because you had a wedding, it doesn't mean that you're capable of a good relationship. Saying I do, next slide, there we go. Saying I do doesn't make you capable, it makes you accountable. We think the myth, we believe in the myth that says, as long as I could get that ring on her or me or whoever, you know, once, as long as I could get that done, then I've crossed the line and I'm magically going to be in this happily ever after world and we know that's not true it requires work it requires preparation as a matter of fact there's a lot of things we have to do on our end to make sure that after we get married that we have a fresh start well no such thing as a fresh start right but at least we have the best chance going forward from here on out but this is what you'll discover over time if you talk to people of failed relationships this is what you'll discover over time there's a lot of finger pointing saying that was the problem, this was the problem, maybe that's the problem, that might be the problem. And in some cases, not all cases, some cases, they always point to I didn't find the right person 
or the marriage just had a rough start, or they point out these things, and very rarely, if they're immature, <laughs> right, do they point the finger at themselves. You see, because this is what's happening, okay? The people who've been in like six or seven relationships and says, I've never met the right person, you know what those five or six relationships have in common? Yeah, you, right? <laughs> and so, so basically what, what, what's happening here is this, okay? In a relationship, there's the person who's in the relationship and there's the other person that's part of the relationship. It's a 50-50 thing. And there's no way that we could control the other person. So the first thing I want you to know is this. You can't control the other half of the, re- of the relationship. You can't control the other person. I cannot change my wife. I've learned that in 10 years. I cannot change her, okay? In the same way, she can't change me. But you know what I do have control over? Me. I can control me. I could change me. I could, I could become a better person, right? So even though I can't control the entire relationship, I'm able to contribute to the relationship to a point where I could say, well, I try my best to make this work. Okay, so, so uh, next, part, next slide right here. There are things we can do to prepare ourselves for relationships. So if you're like listening to this and you're like, yes, I'm glad we're talking about this. I can't wait for my girlfriend, boyfriend, my wife or husband to hear about this. You got to get that out of your mind because this is for you, okay? In whatever relation you're a part of or you're going to be a part of, okay, the lesson here is there's something you can do about your half of the relationship. And so this, so the question is, well, what, what is that? What is it that we can do on our part of the relationship? How can we make our relationship healthier? How can we do that? Well, this is the part where the preacher part comes in because what I want to tell you is this. Following Jesus will help you become the kind of person we are all ultimately looking for and ultimately want to become. Following Jesus is the key. Now, when I say that, I don't want you to be like, okay, so giving me a guarantee. It's like, no, this is not a 100% guarantee. Like I said, we can only contribute half of the relationship. So what I'm saying is, at least on your part, I want you to know that you could do the most, this is the most you can do for the relationship to make sure it's healthy, but the other half is up to that person to decide if they want to contribute to the relationship. So it's not a 100% guarantee, but you could at least own up to half of the relationship. And what Jesus is willing to do with you, in partnership with you, is transform you. This is what we call it in Christianity. We call it transformation, where God changes us from the inside out, so we become the person that we're ultimately looking for in a, in a mate, right? Or become the person that, well, he'll make you more into the person that you wish that you always were in a relationship. So that's what we're talking about. And the way we're going to be talking about this is that we're going to be looking at John chapter 15. So I'm going to put the verses on the screen. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, you can, but I'm going to be skipping around because 15 is long. Okay, so here we go. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Now, if you don't understand plants, which, like me, I don't really understand much about plants, this is the image that Jesus is painting for us, okay? There's a gardener who is God. He's the Heavenly Father who is trying to, he goes into the garden, he moves things around, he snips things off and stuff like that. He's looking around, and he sees the main vine, and he says, that's Jesus. So the gardener has complete connection with, with, with the vine, okay? Then he continues. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more, even more fruitful. Okay, now, it, that sounds like it hurts, like he's going to cut you off, right? In the original Greek, because this is written in Greek, ancient Greek in the first century, in the Greek culture, the way that, the word that they use for cutting off right there, like the part that says that we're going to cut off the branches that don't, doesn't bear fruit, they're not cutting off the branches out of punishment. 
what they're doing is they're cutting off the branch so it has the opportunity to regrow itself, and this time maybe it'll, maybe it'll bear fruit, right? And another thing I want you to know is this. Fruit in the, in the New Testament does not represent, like, riches. I, I've heard preachers preach on this saying, like, hey, if you want to be rich, God wants to give you fruit. He wants you know, to make you rich, so what he's going to do is he's going to prune you. And so, no, that's not what fruit represents in the New Testament. In the New Testament, fruit represents heaven on earth. What that is is if you want to see the world become a better place, that's what fruit is. So when he says, if you're not bearing any fruit, if you're not contributing to the goodness of the world, okay, Jesus says, the father, the gardener is going to come and cut your branch so that you can regrow, so you can become more of the person who will contribute to the goodness of the world, so you can experience heaven together, okay? And if you're already bearing fruit, he might trim a few, few things here and there so that the fruit that you're bearing will be even better, Okay, so that's what he's saying here. Let's continue. How do you do this, Jesus? He says, well, this is what you do. Remain in me as I also remain in you. So he tells us, this is how you do this. The way that you're, God's going to prune you and make you into a better branch that bears good fruit in this world is, the, is, is by remaining in him. Oh, okay, let's keep reading. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It, uh, it must remain in the vine. It's like, Jesus, we got it the first time. Why are you saying this again? He's like, oh, I'm not done yet. Next verse. He says, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Okay, we got it the third time. We got it the first time, Jesus. Can you just move on with your lesson? He's like, I'm not done yet. Next verse. I'm the vine. You are the branches. Like, we, we established on the first verse. Yes, keep going. If you remain in me, why is Jesus repeating himself? If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do uh, nothing. Uh, why, why is Jesus repeating himself? Why is it like, this is like the fourth, fifth time he said this, right? And then Jesus moves on to say, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. It's like, oh, okay, good. You're, now you're moving on to talk about something else. Oh, no, next verse. Now remain in my love. What do you think Jesus' point here is? He's saying you need to do everything you can to remain connected to Jesus. He says, if, I'm the, if God is a gardener, the Father is a gardener, and I'm the vine, right, and you are connected to me, the only reason why you're not connected to the Heavenly Father is because you're not connected to me. So remain in me no matter what. He, he says this over and over and over again. But Jesus, how, how do, I mean, I understand this metaphor. It's kind of cool, you know, this plant metaphor. Back then, it made more sense to them than it did today, right? It, it's really cool. But the question is, okay, so how do we translate that to practical application? How, how do I remain in you, Jesus? Like, can you give us, like, an easy one, two, three, like, instruction book? Can, I need to know how to remain in you. He's like, okay, this is how you do it. Next verse. If you keep my commands you will remain in my love. Oh, so that's how you do it. If you com- okay, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. So he says, as Jesus looks at his father and says, I'm connected to him by following his commands. The way you're going to connect to me is by following my command. And you're like, I knew it. There was a, in, there was a bait and switch here. I knew that was coming. What you're telling us, pastor, is that you want us to be religious. Follow all these rules. Isn't it? Isn't that what you want us to do? Isn't that? Isn't that right? I mean, I, like, I, you see, I understand what you're trying to do, Kotz. Like, I know that you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to make us follow all these rules. And yes, my relationship might get stronger, but you know what? I'll be miserable because I'm not a rule follower. And Jesus says, oh, but I didn't tell you what my commands were yet. So let me tell you. Next verse. My command is this. Now, this might look weird to you because 
It's singular. He says, you, want, you have to follow my commands, plural. He's like, well, what's the command? What are the commands? He's like, well, my command, singular, is this. He's like, wait, well, I thought you were going to give me a long list. No, just one thing. Just one thing you have to follow. Okay, Jesus, what's that one command that we have to do to remain in you so that we're connected to the Father? Like, tell us what that one command is. He says this, love each other. Okay, well, I've already been doing that. So does that, does that mean that, that we're, we're, we're connected to Jesus now? It's like, no, 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 I'm not finished yet. He says, love each other as I have loved you. Okay, so it's not just loving other people. It's that I have to love other people in the way that you love me. Well, the question is, how did Jesus love me? Well, a few chapters after this, Jesus goes to the cross and gives his life up for us. He does it for everybody. He does it for the people that didn't deserve it, people who mocked him. What does this mean for us? What he's saying is, when you love other people sacrificially, you're automatically connected to Jesus, which means that you're connected to the gardener, who's the father. If you put others first, you are now remaining in Jesus. What he's saying is, when somebody wrongs you, let's just say the person that you're dating wrongs you in some way, and you don't hold their sins against them, you're loving as Jesus loved them. He's saying, if you defer your wishes, your, your opportunities you have, for the sake of the, wish, the wishes of the other person, then you are living and loving people as Jesus loved. What he's saying is, if you're willing to lay down your privileges for the sake of the other person, then you are loving and living like Jesus, and now you are remaining in him. You're connected to him. So, summary, here we go. He says, if you love as Jesus loved, okay, if you love in the way that he does, he says, then now you are the branch that's bearing fruit. Now you are connected to Jesus. So if you're loving people sacrificially like Jesus did, now you're actually connected to Jesus. And if you're connected to Jesus, he says, and he's like, Jesus is like, I, well, I did my part. I'm actually connected to God. And so he says, is because of that, you're able to experience heaven together. You're able, you're able to bear much fruit now. You are becoming more and more the person that God meant you to be. He's saying you're becoming more and more the person that you ultimately want to be. You're becoming more and more the person that people want to be with. Around the 4th century, there was a guy by the name of St. Augustine. And when uh, one of his followers asked him, like, hey, you know, what would Jesus want me to do with my life? This is what he said. This is a very short quote. You can memorize it. It's easy. This is what he said. He says, love, and when he says love, he's talking about loving as Jesus did. He's like, if you love like Jesus did, then you could do what you, whatever you want. He says, love and do what thou wilt. He's like, if you could get that first part right, then everything you do after that is going to fall right into the plan that God has for your life. Oh, how should I treat... How should I treat my, my spouse? If you love that person in the same way that Jesus loved you, everything you do is going to fall into place. And at this point, I would say, just imagine if both parties of the relationship lived according to this, to this, this truth. <clears throat> the relationship could flourish. This is what God wants us to do. He wants us to succeed in our relationships because the healthier relationship is at home, the better chance we have at 
expressing the kingdom of God in the places around us at work or, you know, together as a family, you could do something, right? <clears throat> and he's saying, I want you to succeed at this relationship because this is the thing that fuels your decisions from here on out. So I want to say this again. Following Jesus will help you become the kind of person we are all ultimately looking for and ultimately want to become. And so you're like, okay, this is good. I'm going to write this down. You're writing it down. So it's like, Kotz, what you're telling me right now is all I need is love. All I need is love, love, love. Is that what you're saying? Right? And I would say there are some nuances to this, and we're going to spend, be spending the rest of the sermon series talking about those nuances because if you didn't, under, if you don't, if you didn't catch this already, relationships are complicated. It's not simple. You can't just say, I'm in love, and then, so I'm going to get married to this person I just met. You know, like, you can't just do that. There's, there's nuances. There's things that you need to look for. There's, there's decisions, and, and there's just thing, there are such things as tough love. And so we're going to be talking about that in the, for the next few weeks. But what I want you to understand just for today, because this is the introductory message, is this, that before we get to the we, we have to first deal with me. Okay, because if you could get your part right, if you could just get your part right, then your relationship is already halfway there. And so we want you to get that right. Now, <clears throat> I understand sometimes, because I've, I've sat where you sat in the past, okay, that when you hear a sermon, it goes through one ear, and you're like, well, that's pretty good. You stay in there. You know, my brain's going to retain this information. But the next day, it goes out the other ear, and you're like, I totally can't remember what, what happened. And I re- what I discovered is if you talk about it, it actually st- you retain it a little better, right? Right? Yes? So I created three discussion questions you could talk about either outside or on your way home or you could talk over the phone with your significant other or, okay, and if you, this is not mandatory, but I think it will help. So here are three questions. You can take a picture of this. These are the three questions I came up with. What are the top three things you are or were looking for in a significant other? Okay, so think about the days. If you're already married, think about the days before you were married. What were you looking for? What were the three things that you said, this is what I look for in a girl. This is what I look for in a guy. This is what I look for in a partner. Think about those three things. Next question. Now, how do you measure up to that list? It got silent. I know. Okay. And number three, list three things that come to mind when you think about Jesus' love. What would it look like to extend those same three things to someone else? Again, those three, th- three questions. What are your ideals? Do you live up to your own ideals? And imagine what would happen if you lived to the ideals of Jesus in that relationship that you're in right now or you're about to be in or you will be in the future. Okay, I think it'll be a fun discussion, right? <laughs> but he- here's my prayer for you guys today. As we get into this sermon series, I don't want you to cross your arms and say, well, this isn't for me. Because one day, whether if you're already in a relationship or you've given up on dating or whatever you are, one day you're going to discover that these principles are applicable not just to your romantic relationships, but they're also applicable to, your, to the way you love your neighbor. If you're in a feud with your neighbor, you can at least contribute 50% of the way into bringing peace into that neighborhood, right? Or if it's a relationship between you and your kids or with you and your parents, you can at least put at least 50% of the effort into making sure that the relationship is healthy. Regardless, wherever you are in your relationships with the people around you, I want to make sure that you are connected to Jesus because being connected to Jesus, remaining in Jesus, by loving people as he loved you, we are actually bringing heaven on earth through the relationship, in the relationship, into, into the world. Amen? All right. I hope you guys stick around for the next few parts of the series. Let's pray.